Well, good morning, Coastal. How you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're with us. Uh, we've been in a series over the last couple of weeks called Voices, and we've been hearing from some different voices, and today we have an incredible, incredible opportunity to hear from what I believe is, is one of the greatest voices in our community. In fact, um, he is the pastor of the 66th fastest growing church in America, according to Outreach Magazine, also the 40th largest church in America as well. And not only that, but he is uh, probably making the greatest impact in South Florida right now through his church. His church is the most creative church I've ever seen and been a part of services in. He is a phenomenal, phenomenal communicator. But more than that, he has been a big brother to me in ministry in South Florida. In fact, when there are times where it's like, man, I'm, I'm discouraged or I, I just want to throw in the towel. And I, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are days that I want to throw in the towel just like you do. Uh, this is the guy that I call. And every time uh, I, I make that phone call, man, he is such an encourager. He is such an incredible, incredible pastor. And so can we give a huge coastal welcome to my good friend, Pastor David Hughes from Church by the Glades. And thank you. I, I just whispered in TJ's ear, I, I'm having too much fun. You guys are a blast. Love me some coastal. And I, I know pastors say nice things. It's good manners to, to greet the church and say something generous and kind about your leaders. But I, I, there's no embellishment at all. You have a great pastor. TJ has been an encouragement and blessing to me since the moment he, he came to South Florida, buddy. So... For you and Shayla, we love you guys. Uh, TJ is crazy gifted, but his gifting is probably surpassed by his compassion in his heart. So to have that commingling of an awesome leader, preacher, who is all heart for you and Jesus is just a very rare thing. And so, in fact, a rare thing is this whole church is rare. TJ, this doesn't happen anymore that some guy drops in South Florida out of nowhere and uh, starts with only you, your wife, and the Holy Spirit and see it become this, where, you know, multiple campuses, people coming to Christ, on the edge of building this new beautiful building in parking. I drove by it last night. Dang. So uh, this, this, is, this is rare air. This is not typical. What God is doing with you, Coastal, this is not normal. You are not a normal church. You probably knew that already, that you're not normal. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, uh, you're not normal. You are not normal, normal whatsoever. And so I love your pastor. Everything he does is phenomenal. In fact, even, even the greeting there, got, got, just a word for the, the brothers, he did the man hug exactly right. That was a very well-executed man hug. That's an important thing because some men are huggy men. Some brothers are huggy brothers. Some brothers don't do hugs. Amen, brothers? Can I just, just no extra charge for this. I want, the other campus didn't get this, but you need this word. This is very important. Who's a huggy brother? Who's a huggy brother who's secure? You go in for a hug, enjoys a hug. All right, all right. Your pastor's a, my brother right here. Is a, who, on the other hand, is like, um, I'd rather not hug. I'd rather not hug. I want my personal space. Good, good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Like, man, Pastor Raul Palacios, he's the best executive pastor on the planet. He's a dear friend. Raul is a, not a huggy brother, man. My friend Raul, we're good buddies. We never hug. In fact, he likes that, like, five feet of personal space. His wife's the same way. I'm not sure how they had two children. But anyways, they have, they have that. So, so just a word of coaching because, TJ, that was phenomenal. So I'm looking for a volunteer. And because this nice young guy on the front with the red shirt raised his hand, he's not huggy. Would you come help me? Not huggy. Come on. Come on. Give it up. What's, what's your name? What's your name? 
on, give it up for Anthony. Anthony's going to help me out because he's, he's a non-huggy brother. All right, so a little just extra male greeting stuff. So what he just did this great. The good old school handshake, you got to love, right? You got to love strong. Don't give him the wet fish. Man, that was a good, you know, kind of up a little cooler version. Awesome, that's good. Now, if you want to go in for the hug, right, I, I suggest you start, then you come in, right? That was good. He gave me two pats. That's perfect. Ready? Come on in. Ready? Pat, pat. And then most importantly, what you did? Clean break. Clean break, right? Clean break. Because nothing's worse. Right? If you're a non-huggy guy, the other brother comes in and says, oh, man. <laughs> just holds on to you for a while. Are you uncomfortable, Anthony? Oh, it's just weird. Rubs your back a little bit. Come on. That's, that's not good. Don't do that to him. Give it up. Give it up. Don't do that. Anthony, you're phenomenal. So, you know, handshake for that brother, fist bump, fist bump, Anthony, fist bump always works. Because fist bump is like the least amount of physical contact, yet you still physically acknowledge someone, right? That, that's so, so no extra charge for any of that. Now, I want to study the Word of God with you today. I want you to take your Bibles and find Hebrews chapter 4. And the reason I want to do this with you, and I'm so excited about this, is I know when it comes to the Bible, Coastal, you guys have a reputation for loving the Word of God. And you don't fist bump your Bibles. When it comes to Scripture, you come in for the long, awkward hug is what you do, man. You press in with the Word of God. You, you love the Scripture. Your Bible has a, your, your, your pastor has a brilliant ability to teach you Scripture. And so I want to study a passage carefully with you. We're going to give it a, an awkward man hug together. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm just going to study one verse and actually kind of focus on one phrase because it's such a pivotal phrase. And if you're new to the Bible... This is a deep passage because the Bible here is self-defining. The Bible's proclaiming what the Bible thinks the Bible is. And if you're here and you're new to the Bible or new to church, you're not sure about the whole God thing, listen, we're thrilled you're here. This church is a safe place for you to come and kick tires and ask your God questions. So thank you for being here. So in fact, I would, I would encourage if you're here and you're not yet a Christian person, if you just have the courage to pray what I call a dangerous prayer and just pray, hey, hey, God, if, if you're there, if you're listening, I'm open. You pray that prayer with sincerity, and you watch what God does in the next 20 minutes. You watch how God, he will speak to you. I don't mean audibly, but he'll just get all up in your stuff in a cool way. God, if you're real, I'm, I'm, I'm open. Go ahead and, you know, if you're paying attention, God, so am I. So here in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says this about itself. It's on the screen right now. I've highlighted one word, a compound word. When I get to it, read it. But here's what the Bible says about itself. It says, for the word of God is living and active. Let, let me stop right there. The Word of God. The Bible is living and active. What does that mean? I, I don't exactly know. I, I'm going I'm to guess. I'm going to guess. Ever come to church here, Coastal, and when the message is done, you're like, how did he know? How did TJ know? How did he know that's the very thing I was dealing with this whole week? How does he know it's the very issue? My, how do he, he must be hacking my email, man. He, he, oh, my gosh, he, he's bugged my house. How did TJ know isn't it kind of crazy how church sometimes is not just powerful, it's personal? Now, God gets all up in your life. He gets all up in your chili, man. He gets all up in your stuff. And it's like there's, there's hundreds of people coming to Coastal, and you feel like the whole, whole worship service was just for you. I think that's how the Bible can be living and active, that it speaks to us in a very powerful way. So it says, so the Word of God is living and active. Get ready. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Any two-edged sword. So the Bible says about itself, I think I have, I have a prop here, that it, it's, it's a sword. 
The Bible, man, is, is not a feather, it's not a smoothie, it is a sword. I love that. It has a little testosterone, guys. The Bible is a spiritual weapon, right? We defend ourselves with it, we attack the enemy. The Bible is, is a sword. But I love the disclaimer, and I'm, I'm old school. I believe in something called the inerrancy of Scripture. What's that mean? It means God put every word in your Bible there on purpose. God never stutters nor stammers. There's no typos in your Bible. So it's in the Bible. It's there for a reason. And there's a qualifier. It's not just called a spiritual sword. It's called a sword in the Bible. The Bible is more than once. It's called a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword. And I got to think, why is it defined as a two-edged sword? And the best I can come up with is this. Does your Bible ever confuse you? Anyone? Anyone Bible ever Ever like, if you're not raising your hand, you've not read your Bible enough. Because it, it, it can just, like I've read my Bible a lot. I have a degree in Bible and another degree in Bible. And I've been studying the Word of God for decades. And sometimes I'll read something in my Bible. And I know it's God's Word, but I read something in one place. It's like, okay, this is saying this. And I go to a second place. And it seems like the second place is saying something completely different. And it seem, seems, seems, it seems like the Bible's contradicting itself. It, it, see, it confuses me. Anybody? Anybody? I don't. Anybody? It seems like it's in conflict. But actually, if we stop to think, this book is a text about the unlimited God. A God who is sovereign and supreme. A God who is, who is infinite. A God who is so big. A God who is so great. A God who, no matter how smart you are, you're the Einstein in the house. You cannot fully fathom the character and activity of this great God de described in this book. This God is so big, he will not nicely and neatly fit into our intellectual, finite human categories. So sometimes this God's going to do something we cannot understand. It might seem like the Bible's in contradiction. It might seem like it's in conflict. But if the Bible is a two-edged sword, it makes room for duality. And maybe these ideas that seem to be in conflict actually complement and complete each other. You look somewhat confused. Let me give you some examples, some examples. Because so, this is not a theological debate. This is, this is real. This is practical stuff. Like, uh, how about church? You all love your church, amen? You should. This is a great church. When you love your church, I love your church too. Uh, I'm so glad to do ministry with you guys shoulder to shoulder here in Broward County. I love this church. So you love your church. Now, now, when it comes to churches, there are two different kinds of churches. Some churches embrace creativity very creative churches. I think you're a creative church. Our church is known to be a creative church. Other churches are kind of more like a, a content-driven church, you know, a deep doctrine church. So here's my question. When it comes to this thing called church, is it about creativity or content? Creativity or content? I would say the right answer is both. Two edges. Why do you have to choose? It can be rich and deep and creative and provocative and innovative. and It can be both. And listen, you all are creative. You get that, right? Have you been paying attention to some of the series titles you've had in recent years? Uh, you did, I think, one called Say What in the recent past. You had the nerve, Coastal, to have a series entitled The Hangover. Really? The Hangover? You did one called, oh, that's nothing. You, you did one a couple years ago called Grow a Pair. Grow a Pair. All right, Grow a Pair. <laughs> I know one church with the courage to have a theme or a title like that's very creative. That's very creative. Guess what? I commend you. The church of Jesus Christ should be creative. Why? The first thing we learn in the Bible about God is God is creative. The first thing we learn before we learn that God is loving and God is graceful and even understand fully the scope and scale of his power the first thing about God we recognize in the Bible is God is creative. Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God did what? He created. 
So I think the church should be creative. I think the church of God should reflect the creativity of God. So you are creative. At the same time, your pastor lays down some doctrine. Your pastor teaches you the depth of God's word. He does both in a magnificent way. I think you can do both. In fact, the greatest teacher of spiritual truth of all time. In fact, question, who is the greatest teacher of spiritual truth ever? Thank you. That's, that's kind of a gimme right there. Anytime a preacher asks you a question like that, just guess Jesus, whether or not you know the answer or not, because nine times out of ten you'll be right. Yes, the best teacher of spiritual deep truth was Jesus. Amen. I mean, Jesus taught about those hard topics, heaven, hell, you know, second coming, life, death, um, the depth of the grace of God, how the law and grace fit, all this, taught all this. But he was so creative. Jesus loved to rock parables. Parables were those great stories. They were stories about what? Pop culture. Now, in his day, he didn't have Instagram and Twitter and movies, but farmers in their fields, fishermen in their fish, kings in their kingdoms. He would leverage creativity to teach deep truth. The church can be both creative and content rich. You can be sensational and deep at the same time. So that's, that's one. How, how, how about this one? How about this one for, for how about you? How about, anybody here want to know uh, success in life? Want to know, know, know good things in life? Want to be effective? Anybody? Woo! Anybody at all? Anybody? You, yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I, listen, I want everything heaven has for me. Heaven has a blessing on my name. I want it. Amen? You too? Come on. That doesn't make you selfish. It makes you smart. So if heaven has a degree of success, I want it. So, so if I want to know good things in life, if I want to get ahead or know success or effectiveness, so here's the question, what's the formula? Is that a spiritual thing or a practical thing? Is that spiritual or practical? If I know these good things in life, if I know blessing, is that, is that God doing it or me working hard? I think it's, it's, it's a bit of both. If you look at the Bible, you see both these two dimensions celebrated in the Scripture. So if you know good things in life or no success, is it God's blessing or is it your hard work? Or both, I would say this, in the church, man, there's so many good things in this church. And with clarity, all good, all credit for all good in the church, all glory goes to God. Amen? Jesus said, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So for all the good things in this church, all the glory goes to Jesus. At the same time, pastor, I've noticed this at my church. The harder we work, the more he blesses. I think it's both. I think a lot of Christians self-sabotage because you rest totally on the blessing of God. God wants to bless your life. God is very generous. God wants to get all up in your life in beautiful and wonderful ways. But God will not do for you what you can be, do for yourself. But once you've done everything you can do for yourself, God will step in and do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I mean, this way, you must provide the sufficient, sanctified sweat to secure your success. Now, lazy Christians hate this principle. But when you work hard, God blesses. So whether that's your academics, I mean, students... Don't you study for a C and ask God to bless you with an A. No, the parents loudly said, amen, amen right? Same way professionally, we can't mail it in. We've got to give God our best. Athletically, we give our, in our marriages, put in the work. God blesses that work. The apostles worked. Jesus did the work of the Father set before him. So we're not afraid of hard work. Let's talk about church. Why is this church a great church? Obviously, God has blessed. All credit for all good in the church, all glory goes to Jesus. But you've worked hard. Man, you guys pray and you serve and you volunteer and you set up and you break down. Those days are soon going to be behind you to a degree. Woo! But guess what? 
I got some buildings. Man, the work just continues. It just takes a different shape. And we do the work of the gospel. And God blesses. How about this? Listen, listen. You know, gosh, 97% of Broward County does not attend church. This is a Sunday morning with a plethora of other things to do. You're here. You, many good things in life don't happen unless you show up. You are here. Well done. The Bible celebrates faithfulness. I love that you're here today, that you're serving today, that you're involved today, that you're invested today. Thank you for being here. I hope this is your habit. I hope you're here all the time. It's probably, probably just my church, TJ. But I got some folks, they love church by the glaze, and they show up once every two months. They see me at the mall. Pastor David, I love the church. Oh, were you there for the last series? No, no. One point, no, no. Last, uh, when you guys were in the Bank Atlantic Center in 2011, that was a great service, right? I, I get that, but they love our church. Man, the Bible celebrates faithfulness. You got you to be here. I'm not talking about legalism or brownie points in heaven. Just, just God will deposit things in your life because the Word of God is living and active. It will get personal, and sometimes you'll miss what you need to be successful during the week. Think about it this way. Any sports fans in the house? Any sports fans? <laughs> not many sports fans in this service. Any sports fans in the house? All right, all right, yeah. If you're like me and I'm, I'm a rabid sports fan, this is a tough time of year. The baseball season, a long time until the, the postseason, NBA is over, even all the free agency is done. You know, oh, my college football's not started yet. But if you love me and you, you begin your quiet time with the Bible, then you finish it with ESPN on the mornings. Uh, and you love NFL, training camp began this last week. So gave you something to watch. And if you're a hardcore fan, you love training camp. And stay with me if you're not a fan for a moment. But if you're a hardcore fan and, and you have that favorite player, that star on your team, and they don't go to training camp. Sometimes they hold out because of a contract issue. I get it. It's their livelihood. But if you have that star player who doesn't go to training camp as a fan, you're a little frustrated. They go, oh, man, I'm frustrated. I wish they were there. Why? Because, you know, training camp or practice is the place they get ready for the game. If you want to be effective and successful in the game, I would argue success happens not just at 1 o'clock on Sunday. It happens getting ready. It happens in the training camp. Church is the training camp. Church is God getting you ready. This is the spiritual practice and discipline for success in the world. But if you miss training camp, if you're a holdout, you're going to miss what God wants to give you for Monday at the office or Monday on the campus. This is crucial that you're, this is God getting you ready to succeed. So in Jesus' name, you got to show up. Now, if you don't like my sermon, guess what? I'm not back next week. <laughs> TJ, in my church, if it rains, especially hard, I'm shocked at how many people don't show up. Can I just vent for a moment? I'm too cheap to pay for a therapist. I'm just going to vent to y'all. I just... I'm shocked that, that, you know, I mean, we'll be down like 30% just because it's raining. But I know those same people on Monday, if it's raining just as hard, all go to work. If I asked one, why, why, why would you go to work and not go to church the same rain? They'd probably say, do you love your boss when you love Jesus? Oh, no, my boss is a jerk. I don't love my boss. No, I, I, I get paid. It's where I get paid. They pay me so, so money is more valuable than eternal things. Money is a greater deposit in your account than what God wants to deposit in your life. Just, just next time it rains, I want you to think about the crazy guy across town just saying, God on the eighth day invented this thing called the umbrella. <laughs> Get yourself here. It's those days, I, I promise God's going to inspire you and touch you and speak to you in a unique way, when the devil tries to keep you from church, and I get it, if you're a parent, man, your kids, are, they're tough on Sundays, you don't have gas in the car, there's always some, some barrier you must break through to receive what God wants to give you. So God's going to do what you can't do. God wants to bless you, but we got to do our part of the equation too. you got to show up, amen? amen? Amen, I'll see you next week when it rains, show up. <laughs> How about this one? That was, that was awkward, sorry, man, like guest speaker, kind of like beating up on a, 
Uh, let's, let's get it more awkward. How about this? Generosity. Yes. Love when guest speaker brings up money. Yes, that's woohoo. More people just staring at me. That's okay. Um, and by the way, if you are a guest, uh, this church's money me message, in my opinion, is very balanced. Some churches, in my opinion, are very much all about money, and every sermon's about money, and every song's about money, and everything. that's not the way it goes here, right? Um, it's very balanced, but there is a lot of teaching about financial things in the Bible. So if you want to be honoring the Word of God, occasionally and appropriately, the pastor must talk about money. And the reason why is because we're commanded to be generous. In fact, let me ask you this. If... if generosity is a biblical principle that I, I'm required by the scripture to resource the kingdom, what's the best motivation for that? What's the best reason behind that? Is it obedience or is, is it blessing? Obedience or blessing because I am commanded to be obedient. It's imperative that I give as a Christ follower. It's like Christianity 101. At the same time, one of the reasons TJ must occasionally teach in the financial, in the Bible, some of the most powerful promises about God's willingness to bless us are attached to the faith action step of giving. When I release resources in the kingdom, God promises to bless me. I'm talking audacious, over-the-top promises. Now, by the way, if this topic makes you uncomfortable, I'm not being judgy. It's just money is your hang-up. And the reason I'm not judging you is I'm the same way. I am by nature what I like to call a conservative, financially frugal. My wife says cheap. So giving does not come nationally for me. Some people are very naturally. I was talking to your pastor in the car. God bless you, the resources. He wants to build churches in China and stuff. I'm like, oh, I would build the pastoral jacuzzi. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, just he's just generous by nature. And I, I'm not so. Listen, if, if when the preacher talks about money, if that's weird for you, it's just generosity is probably your hang up. But don't feel bad. Every Christian in the house has at least one hang-up. It may not be generosity, but something else. Maybe for you it's, it's forgiveness or your anger or lust or what have you. But we all have one, right? Don't stare at me. If you have at least one hang-up, raise your hand, at least one. If your hand's not up, lying in church would be a hang-up, okay? So, so no, one's, no one's judging you. It's just if, if, you, if you resist this one, this is just probably an area that you struggle in. And uh, But... But the Bible's clear that we're called to give. Let me just show you one. I can show you a plethora of examples. But just one in the Bible. So it's, it's that living and active word of God. It's the sword. And the speaker here in this one, it's not, it's not Moses. And it's not the Apostle Paul. It's not King David. The speaker in this passage is Jesus. So ratchet up the credibility as high as it goes. And look, look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. On the screen behind me right now. This, this is powerful. And by the way, I've highlighted just one word. When I say three, I want you to read the one word loudly. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. Now, because I'm a Christian, this could be a one-word verse. I mean, I'm, I'm saved. I've been redeemed. He's my king. So if my king just said, give, period, I'm in. I know I don't like to. I don't feel like I'm not wired this way, but I, I need to give. If, if King Jesus said, you need to be a giver, I, I would just have to give because he commanded me to give. But here's the great thing, that my king is such an awesome king and a kind king and a generous king. He doesn't just give me the command. He makes a promise. It's not give, period. It's give, comma. Look what it says. Give, and it will be given to you. Okay, so what's that? Proportional? Is this kind of mathematical money formula? Like if I give 100, God's going to bless me with 100? No, 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 no. By the way, I'm talking about blessing, and blessing, blessing comes in two forms, tangible and intangible. I'll tell you this, and the best blessings of God have nothing to do with money. The biggest blessings of God, you cannot put a price tag on them. All right, but he says, give, and it'll be given to you. But look, a good measure, pressed down. Look at the language. Shaken together and running over. God wants to give to us in extreme, lavish ways. 
And the promise maker here ain't the preacher. It's King Jesus. Can you trust the promise of Christ? So like three people trust Jesus in your church. We'll work on the rest. So based on this principle, if this is your hang-up, I wonder how many people in the room are living under the tyranny of a self-imposed micro-recession because you won't trust God and give. Give and the king promises to be given to you in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and spilling over. The king has made this promise. So it's obedience and blessing. Obedience is not one or the other. It's, it's both. Say it with me. It's both. In fact, it's kind of a trick question because actually the best reason to give has nothing to do with obedience or blessing. The best reason to be generous is love. The best reason to, to, to is just love. That, that God has loved me so much. God has forgiven me so much. And God has shown me so much goodness and grace. God, every good thing I have comes from God. So out of, out of love and response, so, so love. And because love and generosity, there's always a financial component to love. Every, let me just say this clearly. Everything, growing up, you'll recognize this is true, growing up people, everything and everyone you love costs you money. True or not true? Everything or everyone you love, grown ups, costs you money. Your children, your children are awesome, aren't they? They are cute, they are smart, they are wonderful, you love them, they're talented, blah, blah. Your kids are great, and they cost you so much money, don't they? I have three kids. This is a picture of my kids on the screen right now. Charlie just graduated. Victoria is a junior, about to be a senior this year. And then the little guy is our a little God surprise, Zane Michael. He's a, a third grader. And they're awesome, and they're great kids, and they love God. I enjoy them completely, and they cost me so much money. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? They grow in and out of clothes. Haircuts these days are so expensive. Charlie had to get braces. That orthodontist went and paid for the braces. I have two teenagers driving in South Florida. You know what insurance rates go for in South Florida for teenagers? Am I preaching to anybody right now? Oh, my God. They insist on eating three times a day. They cost me so much money. He's going to college this year. College to win. Oh, they cost me. I got to look at them again because they are cute. But, you know, I've never, I've never, I never one time sat down with Lisa and said, you know, they are so expensive. If we would just eBay one of them. If we just, we'll keep two. You pick. If we would eBay, we'd have so much more money. Never, never once, right? Never once thought, you know, you know, doesn't need new clothes. Doesn't need a haircut. You, you spend that money, why? Why? One reason. That's it. Love. Love. So it's not, it's not just kids, it's anything. It's anything, anything you love. Have a hobby? Who has a hobby? Raise your hand, who has a hobby? Have a hobby, okay. Like some of y'all need a hobby. It's why you're stressed out. Go get your hobby. Um, your hobby costs money. If you play tennis, if you play golf, I go fishing, it costs you money, you work out, gym member, it costs you money. Uh, pets, pets, pets. Any pet people in the room? That was terrible. Any pet people in the room? I'll drill down. I'll drill down. Any, any cat people? Any cat people? Any cat? Really? Really? Why? Why? Let me pray for you. Why? I don't understand. Why? Why a cat? Why? Really? A cat? Why? I thought you were saved. A cat? Why? Just No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Cats are awesome. Cats are... Uh, how about this? Any dog people in the house? Yeah, in fact, I'm letting you off too easy. If you're truly a dog person, I say three. Bark. One, two, three. Only dog people, man, do things like that. Dog people. Anybody got like an exotic or weird or different pet? Any kind of funky pet? Got funky pets there? Funky? I got some like, like snakes and lizards and yeah, nodding heads and 
horses. I had a parrot once upon a time. We had a beautiful, beautiful eclectus parrot named Ruby. I have a picture of Ruby. And at the time, she was our only pet. My kids, my big kids were little kids back then, and we all loved Ruby. She was a family pet. Well, one, one night, it was a Saturday night. It always happens to preachers on the weekend. So I did two services at church, came home, and Ruby was not on her perch in her cage. She was on the floor of the cage, rolling around, like, you know, contorting. She threw up. I didn't know birds could barf. She threw up. And we're like, oh, my gosh. We Googled what are these symptoms. She's like a really sick bird. So we found a vet who would intake, you know, birds late at night. My wife, as a good neighbor, said, I'll, I'll take the bird. you got to speak five times tomorrow. So I'll take the bird. And there's all this drama because it's a family pet. It's Ruby, our pet. And the kids are crying, Daddy, is Ruby going to die? Is Ruby? I'm upset because we love Ruby. Lisa's upset. And so she puts Ruby in a little travel cage. And going out the door, taking Ruby to the vet. Ruby's like desperately sick. My wife had the nerve to ask me a question, a shocking question. My wife, kids are crying, family pet, maybe going to die. And she, she looks and quietly says, uh, how much? <laughs> now, for those of you who didn't laugh, you're not getting what she's asking there, right? Right? You're really quiet. How much is she asking? Because no, vet bills can be really, really expensive. We had friends pay $15,000 for their dog at a vet's, right? So how much? I couldn't believe she said how much. This is our family pet that we love. My kids are crying. There is trauma. It's life or death. I can't believe. I was shocked that woman would ask me how much. I was even more shocked I had a number. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, good point. So I said, oh, how about this number? She said, how about this number? We kind of met in the middle. And thank goodness the vet bill wasn't there. It would have been bye-bye, Birdie. Ruby's fine, right? Let me land this. So, so, you know, we loved the bird, but obviously our love had a limitation because we had a number. But let me tweak the story. Pretend it's not your pet. Pretend it's your kid. That's one of my kids being wheeled out in a gurney, and the EMTs are there, and they're desperately sick, and taking one of my kids to the hospital, and the EMT says, Mr. Hughes, uh, how much? <laughs> Your kid, how much? You don't have a number, do you? You're like, all of it. Take another mortgage in the house, I'll sell the house. We'll live under a bridge. I'll eBay every possession I have. That is my kid. I love my kid. Now stay with me. For some of you, I know giving is your hang-up, but you love God, and you know God loves you. And, and giving and generosity always go together, always. And there's a freedom you experience when you kind of push through your hang-up, and you get generous. And by the way, sometimes God will give you an occasion like a building that's almost done, an offering a few weeks away called the Immeasurably More Offering, because you guys, you guys have raised $800,000 already, but you have $400,000 to go. That's, that's a huge number, and you can't do it by yourself, but together we can only if we trust God. And the people who are naturally generous are generous. And the people like me who are cheap people, we trust God and go, you know, God, this is a hard area for me, and I, I watch every penny, and I don't trust people financially, but you love me so much. I'm in. And then watch God bless. Watch Jesus keep that promise. I don't know how he's going to do it. He's a creative God, but watch God. Jesus, will, I will stake my reputation on the promise of Jesus every single time. What's the best reason to give? Is obedience, blessing, they're great. The best one is love. I got like three minutes left. So one last, one last one. Okay, one last duality, one last dichotomy. Is it you okay? Okay, since the pastor said yes, and the rest of y'all didn't, I'm going to do it anyway. So here, here we go. Since this church is so committed to bringing people to Jesus, since you guys have done a brilliant job, brilliant job over the years you've been around and it's going to get better the new building is going to be such a tool for this it's going to be so phenomenal but you're so passionate about seeing people come to know christ and know salvation and forgiveness and freedom in his name here's the question when, when someone is saved it, 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 do they choose or does god choose 
I mean, when someone bows the knee to Jesus, like, maybe you need to do it today. So is that God choosing you? Because there's some verses that describe the fact that God chooses us. Other times, we're shown to be people of free will and autonomy. So what is it? Is it something called election, or is it free will? Oh, someone said, but how can it be both? Because they're opposites. I don't understand how, how God can choose and we could choose at the same time. Oh, yeah, we're talking about God, aren't we? We're talking about this God who's so great and so huge and so magnificent we cannot fully fathom the activity of God. And I know it seems like you can't reconcile the two, but I believe it is both. And this is not just the theological issues that pastors wrangle about over breakfast. This matters because Jesus told us to do something that you guys do wonderfully well. He said, go make more disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, called the Great Commission. It's on the screen right boom, now. It says, go and make disciples of all nations. Let me give you the chronology of when Jesus said this. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the 40 days of showing himself to be very much alive, right before he ascends back to the Father. So here's the disciples and about 500 other Christians. Who said, hey, hey, y'all. Hey, here's what you do till I come back. Busy yourself with this. Go make more disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. If you do that, I'm going to show up in your life. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And you do a brilliant job. But how you do this, this idea, do, do people really have the freedom to choose? Or is God as a whole worked out ahead of time? This, this is really important on how you do this or even if you do this. In fact, Jesus said things like this a whole bunch. Jesus told his disciples, go make more disciples. This thing I'm giving you called forgiveness and freedom in heaven, too good to keep to yourselves. So he said it time and time. In fact, you back up three years at the start of his ministry, he said the same thing. Different words. I like this one better. It's probably not a popular opinion because the Great Commission is the Great Commission. But I like this one because I love to fish. I'm a fisherman. And Jesus, this first time, it's 20 chapters exactly before, Matthew chapter 4, he says to, to Peter, and, and Andrew and James and John, he says, hey, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And then once they left their nets and they followed him, hey, come follow me. It's really cool you're fishing for fish, but you come with me. We're going to fish for people. We're going to change the world. And so we fish for people. Do, do, do they choose? Or does God choose? Or is it, or is it both? Is it, how does it even work out? And Do we have to even do anything of God's choosing? But Jesus commanded and so i don't know exactly how it works out but maybe this is how it works out so our church like your church we, we try to be interesting tj people are so distracted these days it's it just getting them getting their attention to challenge so creativity is a powerful thing so uh, a couple years ago i did did a series with the incredibly creative title fish fish is that the worst title ever it's just boring fish I, I love to fish so we did a series called fish so my title was terrible but what the guys did on the stage was awesome. They put these fish tanks on the stage, and yeah, live fish. And, and so, that, you know, oh, people walked in, they were intrigued. So I had their attention, then we just told the stories, the fish stories, the Bible, fishing for men, Jonah and the well. And so I'm preaching, preaching, preaching. Well, my, my kids were at church a lot, and this is back when Zane, my youngest, was like five or six. He's back in my office, and, and my good friend Pastor Raul is there in the office too. And uh, obviously not hugging anybody, but he's in the office. He's, he's there, and, and Zane's there, and his mom. And Zane said something, because I'm on the monitor speaking about me and fishing that was funny, that Raul, my good friend, retweeted. Ever see the Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets? It was a mean tweet. He, tweet, he tweeted this. actually very funny. He, he tweeted, why is he talking about fishing? My dad is horrible at catching fish. At Zane Hughes. At Zane Hughes. Hashtag hilarious. Hashtag tarpon. Hashtag anyways. So I wasn't mad. I thought it was very, very funny. He said that. And we had a good laugh that he tweeted that. But hit me later on. I thought, I wonder why Zane actually said that. Because I took Zane fishing a lot. And I made sure every time, because he's little. 
Every time we went fishing, we caught a whole lot of fish because parents, if you want a little kid to enjoy fishing, it's not about uh, quality, it's all about quantity. You want to catch a whole bunch of even little fish, like little brim or little grunts or, or snapper. You just make sure that rod bends a whole lot because they get bored. So I made, time, made sure every time we went fishing, we caught dozens and dozens of fish. I wonder why he said I was a horrible fisherman because every time we went fishing, we caught a bunch of fish. So I'm in my office with my youngest. I said, hey, hey Zane, why did you tell Pastor Raul that Daddy was a horrible fisherman? Because every time we go fishing, we catch a lot of fish. To which without missing a beat, he said, oh, Daddy, no, no, no. We don't catch a lot of fish. I catch a lot of fish. You don't catch any fish. I catch all the fish. You're a horrible fisherman. I'm a really good fisherman. I was like, that punk. I cannot believe that little punk because every dad knows here. Every time he caught a fish, oh, no, no, I caught the fish. Every time he caught the fish, I baited the hook. I cast the line out, I waited for the fish to strike, I set the hook, I fought the fish. I mean, the fish is like flip-flopping like three inches below the surface of the water. Then and only then, I put the rod in his hand, put both arms around him, I helped him reel up the fish, I took the fish off the hook, I helped him pose for the fish selfie, right? Then I threw the fish back. He caught the fish? No, no, I caught the fish. Easier to catch the fish without him in the way. Every fish he caught, Dad caught the fish. getting it aren't you you guys have done a brilliant job how many years now TJ you going all this in nine years starting from nothing but because you have served and because you have given and because you involved because you invite people all the time your t-shirts are everywhere because you guys put the word out because you invite because you are faithful because you serve because you sweat all these people have come to Christ, and in the years to come, more and more and more, and everyone who bows the knee, everyone who gives their heart to Jesus, God using your faithfulness, using your service, but everyone that does that is the Father catching the fish. All glory for all good in this great church goes to our great God. And what a privilege he allows us to enter into his joy that we partner with him in these ways. So listen, this I am here out of pure selfishness. I love this church. Your pastor is one of the best encouragers in ministry I've ever met. And I just want to be a little piece of what God's going to do in your future. There's somebody here, you've never given your heart to Christ. I can't think of a more brilliant time to give your heart to Jesus. It doesn't matter if the preacher is TJ or David or whoever. You're not saved in the name of TJ. You're saved in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for you, and the campus pastor, Josh, is going to take over. But thank you, thank you, thank you for the honor of hanging out with Coastal Community Church. Father God, thank you for this text. We've just studied actually one verse and one crazy compound word in that one verse. That the word of God is a sword, a powerful spiritual sword. It's a weapon that we defend ourselves with. It's a weapon that we do damage to the enemy in his kingdom. But it has two edges. So sometimes this remarkable text might confuse us, might baffle us. Why is describing the duality of a God who cannot be contained, a God who's bigger than our minds can imagine? So, Father, this great God is the one we serve. It's this great God who calls someone to himself today. It's this great God who's having honor and glory and dominion in this great church. I pray for Coastal. I'm thankful for everything you are doing, have done. And especially what you're going to do in the days to come. And all glory goes to Jesus. As the church says together, amen. You guys rock. Thank you so much. You guys give it up for Pastor David.